Bible reading is coming from 2 Corinthians 8.16 through to chapters 9, verses 5. Titus sent to Corinth. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and a fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove how hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, hey, everybody, if you have a Bible, turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, the passage you just heard read. But before we get there, I would love to take us back to 2004, to a beach on the central coast of New South Wales. I was there with my beautiful girlfriend, Renee. We were traveling down the East Coast together and um, <clears throat> Christian disclaimer, very important just before we go any further. Uh, Renee and I were traveling with other people, all right? So just so you know, you're, keeping it holy. Uh, in fact, we were keeping it so holy that we were uh, doing a little Bible study on the beach there together. We were working our way through the gospel of Luke and journaling as we went through. And we got to Luke chapter 12 on that day on the beach. And we read a passage that just rocked us, like simultaneously rocked us. And I want to read it for you because it it really profoundly shaped our theology of money and possessions. So this is Luke 
12, beginning at verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this. He said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We read that passage and it just shook us because I think what we saw in the man who God called a fool was just the same thing that all of us are doing all of the time. We spend our whole lives accumulating, accumulating, accumulating money and possessions and storing them up for ourselves. And so, in essence, what the man was doing was no different to anything that any of us do all of the time. And yet God looked at him and said, you fool. Luke, in his Gospels, is very conscious of the link between a person's attitude to money and possessions and the health of their spiritual life, even down to the fact of whether they are indeed saved at all. And Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. It's like this kind of greed can just creep up on us without us knowing. He wants us to be on our guard. And Paul has exactly the same thing in mind as he writes to the Corinthians. He knows that they are in danger, just like we are, of becoming a fool when it comes to money and possessions. And that's why he takes two chapters, two precious chapters of this letter to address this issue of money and possessions, generosity and giving. Now we're going to jump into the passage you heard read, but just before we do, a reminder that if you have any questions about anything I say or, or anything I've left unsaid or just anything at all, feel free to text your questions in anonymously. We'll find a way of, of trying our best to answer them during the coming week. But just so we're up to speed, the context for the chapter, indeed the, the letter itself, is that Paul is on this money-collecting mission. He's going all through the region, writing to churches, asking them to take up a collection for the sake of the poor Jewish converts in Jerusalem, those who are struggling financially in deep poverty. He's taking up a collection to bless them. And he's, so he's writing to the churches, including Corinth, asking them 
to take up this collection for the sake of the poor. And we saw last week that uh, these Corinthian Christians, who Paul will later call rich or wealthy, those who are prospering in a very prosperous area of Greece, he, 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 he acknowledges in this letter that though they started really well, and in fact, we'll see later, they were an example for the churches everywhere in their giving. Though they started well, they had not finished the job. So he says in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 8, In this matter, I'm giving you advice because it is profitable for you. He loves a play on words, right? It's profitable for you. Who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Now, we're going to see some further context for this money-collecting mission that Paul's on uh, in this passage today. And Paul's going to introduce us to three men who are going to be central to the success of this mission. Three men who are going to help him achieve his goal. And the first man that we're introduced to, uh, or reintroduced to, is a man named Titus. So in verse 16 to 17, Paul says, Thanks be to God, who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus. For he welcomed our appeal, and being very diligent, went out to you by his own choice. Titus is, is really intertwined with Paul's ministry to the Corinthians. We saw that it was Titus that went down to them to, to visit them, uh, to see how they were doing after they'd received Paul's terse letter, the one that's been lost to history, the sort of aggro letter uh, that he sent to them, calling them to repent. And then we saw that in chapter 7, I think it was um, Titus meets Paul and tells him the good news that the Corinthians have repented. They're turning away from those false teachers, those super apostles who are undermining Paul's gospel ministry. And so Titus has been up and down the country serving Paul for the sake of these Corinthian Christians. And, and the cool thing is, is that Paul says that even though he's doing all this work, all this labor for the sake of these wayward, disobedient Christians, God has given him a real heart for those people. God has enlarged his heart and given him a kind of compassion and um, sympathy for the Christians in Corinth. And this is something that we need to know. If you've ever wondered whether God is calling you to the mission field, whether it's the mission field of Melton Shire or the mission field of Madagascar, right? That when God calls you to serve a people, to share the gospel with a people, he also gives you a heart for those people. And I just, my mind goes to, to our own congregation. My mind goes to Doug and Judy Carr. And just the labor that they have exerted in serving the rural, poor pastors and their churches in the Philippines. Just year after year, working hard to gather resources for those people, medicinal resources, spiritual resources, and then going there and serving them. And the fact is that the only way that they could achieve that ongoing uh, heartfelt ministry was if God was pleased to give them a heart for the people 
And that's what he's done here with Titus. Titus just loves serving the people in Corinth. Now maybe Paul anticipates that that just like he has enemies in the church in Corinth, maybe, maybe those same enemies would be turned against Titus when he goes to visit them to, to take up this collection. And so he says in verse 23, the first part of verse 23, and in, in the Greek it's a little bit uh, more emphatic. He, he's kind of puffing out his chest and he's feeling protective of his, his partner in ministry. And so he says, As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. Now, I, th- I think, and, and you could find somewhere else in the Bible where Paul uses this language and te- text it in and let me know, but I think this is the only place where Paul calls someone else, a co-worker in ministry, where he calls them a partner. That Titus is his partner. He's so close to Paul, they have developed such a strong bond in the gospel over the years that he refers to him as a partner and a co-worker in ministry. I remember earlier on in my own pastoral ministry, I had a coach in America, quite a well-known celebrity pastor, and I remember him saying to me directly, you cannot be friends with your co-workers. If you have anyone else on your ministry team, you can't befriend them. You know, you need to keep distance from them. That's what leadership is about. You need to, you need to you know, maintain some boundaries. You might need to fire some of this person one day, right? And I'm so glad that I didn't take that advice because I have had the joy of partnering with people in ministry. And the best example of this is obviously Jimmy. Jimmy, back in late 2012, we reacquainted ourselves. I had been his youth minister back in the day at the church we grew up at, but we hadn't seen each other for a while. And then we reconnected and we, within us was, was birthed this desire for him to come and join the ministry here. We didn't have the money, we didn't have the resources, but we thought God might be calling him. And ever since that time, you know, seven or eight years, we have spent laboring together for the sake of the gospel. And I am so glad that God gave me the gift of Jimmy. We've been able to labor closely together in good times in bad. I've so valued his ministry, his encouragement, his generosity, his criticism. We've been able to walk together and I'm so grateful to God that I have a partner in ministry in Jimmy. Now, it's pretty rare for anyone in church ministry to work together for that long, seven or eight years. So if you're curious about what that looks like, to to be together for that long, laboring together for the sake of the kingdom, doing gospel ministry together to fulfill the Great Commission, then this clip, I think, summarizes it beautifully. Um, the hearts of men thinking evil thoughts all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like our office most yeah, days ex- of the week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think? I'm pretty sure Paul and Titus would have similar clips to share. 
Now, he's the first man that is part of this money-collecting mission. There's two other guys that Paul mentions. The first is simply known as the brother. So in verse 18, we have sent with him, with Titus, the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. Now, I don't know why he doesn't mention this guy's name or the next guy for that matter. They're not named. They're anonymous. And uh, I, don't, I don't know why exactly. Some people think it's because they would be carrying so, so much money with them on these Roman roads that if he had been named, maybe they would come under closer scrutiny. Uh, if that's the case, then he's really dropped Titus in it uh, by, by name dropping him earlier. I don't think it was that. I, th- I think it's just the fact that, well, it's what he says. This brother is famous. This brother is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. That's the point. This guy is known for his gospel ministry, not for himself, not for his name, not for his personality, not for his gifts, but for his gospel ministry. That's a beautiful thing. It would be a wonderful thing for that to be the thing that we are known for, even beyond our name or our personality or whatever. But it got me thinking, because this might just be me, but I was thinking, if, if I was mentioned in the best-selling book of all time, and my, my buddy was mentioned by name, but I was anonymous, I would be kind of disappointed. Well, I would be really disappointed by that. But not this brother. He is known around the world at the time, in all the churches, for his gospel ministry. The point is, it's not about him. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Now, there's one other guy that's mentioned here in verse 22. We have also sent with them our brother. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent And now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. This third brother, this third man involved in this ministry of collection is a man known for his diligence, for his conscientiousness. Now this is really important to Paul when he's putting together this special team for the sake of collecting this money. Diligence is really important because... Whenever it's come from that point till now, whenever Christians, churches have got involved in ministry involving money, it's a real snare. It's a danger. Where it goes wrong, the gospel is brought into disrepute. And you might have your own experiences of that. It's a tragedy when that happens. And so Paul wants this man in his diligence to make sure that this thing is done right. I remember my mum used to say that something does, it's not good enough for something to be right, it's also got to look right. It's not enough for something to be right, it's got to look right to those around us. And that's exactly what Paul wants in this situation. He knows that his enemies in Corinth are undermining him and they are um, spreading rumors about him with respect to his use of money. We'll get to this in chapter 11, I think it is, where he defends the way that he has dealt with money in his ministry, particularly with the Corinthians. 
But he says here just how important this is in verse 20 to 21. He says, we are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, we are giving careful thought to, to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. Right? So it's not enough to, to be right before God, but it's got to look right before people. And that's why he's put these three men together. And if this mission is successful, it's going to be largely down to these three guys that are diligently going about the work of mission among the Corinthians. I love what he says, the last word here in in verse 23, the second part of verse 23, what he says about these three brothers. He says, as for our brothers... They are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Messengers of the churches, literally apostles, uh, not used in a technical sense, but those who have been sent with the message. They are the, the messengers, of the ch- messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Another way of saying that is that they exist. They, just, they, have, they have organized their life around the glory of Christ. Their whole mission in life is to make Jesus look as good as he really is, to show his glory among the nations. Again, what a thing to be said about these guys. May it be so of us as well. They are the glory of Christ. Now he moves from these, talking about these three brothers to what I think are three principles for us to learn from this passage when it comes to giving, when it comes to stewardship. And the first one is that he, he wants their giving to be an example to others. He wants their giving to be an example to others. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9. Now concerning the ministry to the saints... It is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since the last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So Achaia is the region in which Corinth is situated in Greece. And what he's saying is that their attitude to this money collecting mission for the sake of the poor has been an example to those around them and it's specifically an example to the Macedonians now remember last week Paul was saying to the Corinthians the Macedonians have embraced this mission wholeheartedly he says even in their poverty they they begged us for the privilege of participating in the collection And he's using them as an example to spur the Corinthians on to finish that mission themselves. And now he's saying, you know, back a year ago when we started this thing, it was your example, Corinthians, that sparked the motivation in the Macedonians. And so it's sort of come full circle. And so he says, your giving can be an example which births the same desire for generosity in the churches around you. And this, I know this has been the case for me. In my own life, my desire to want to be generous, 
to steward my resources well, to give to the needs of those around me, the church, and then outside of it, right? That desire has, yes, come from the scriptures, from passages like the one we're looking at at the moment, but it's also come from the example of people around me. I've seen some incredible acts of generosity, some, some incredible witnesses of, of lives that have been lived for the sake of others, not for accumulation, not for bigger barns, not for eating and drinking and taking it easy, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. Those, things, those, those examples have so inspired me. It's not just with money either. It's think like acts of generosity. Like the other day, we heard a knock at the door and someone running down our driveway and a car taking off. We went, Renee went, opened the door and there was just this pile of food there for us. Like just tons of stir fry that had been cooked and packaged up and, and given to us anonymously just to bless us. And that example of generosity is just, it's so infectious. And this is not just like a, a try it kind of pay it forward kind of thing, right? The, the universe will reward you if you're generous. It's not, it's not karma. This is just gospel love expressed in action. It's a beautiful thing. So he wants their giving to be like that for the people around them. A great example for others to follow. The second thing he says is that he, he wants their giving to be prepared ahead of time. So, verse 3 and 4 of chapter 9. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you would be ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. So the context, the immediate context is important, right? He wants uh, to avoid this situation where he's going to turn up and the, the collection's not going to be ready and then there's going to be this awkward thing of, you know, are you going to be collecting it? Do you, are you going to go and do it now? And this kind of stand over tactic that he doesn't want any part of. He wants them to be prepared. There's a broader kind of general principle here in that we should be preparing ourselves well in order to give well because it's not just about the money that we give it's, a, it's about the heart behind it that's clear in Jesus theology of money and of course of Paul's as well he wants us to be well prepared to give so he says in the letter he sent earlier in 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 and verse 1 to 2 he says now about the collection for the saints do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. He wants them to be prepared. He wants them, particularly in that society where you wouldn't really have set salaries from which you can deduce your annual giving. It's more a week-to-week -week thing. He wants them week-to-week -week to see how they've been prospering, right? see the state of their finances, and then determine in their own heart, voluntarily, to give from that. Now, I'm so, so glad that our church, for the most part, in our church, the regular givers give electronically. It just ha it helps us so much to, to give via direct debit. 
it helps us budget. It's just a more reliable source of income where we can determine what kind of ministries we can do, what kind of bills we can pay, that kind of thing. If you're not yet electronically giving, I really encourage you to give. There's a page on our website uh, where you can learn more about how to give. All of that's important. But if you are electronically giving, let me just encourage you to do what Paul encourages the Corinthians Take some time from time to time to review your giving, to meditate on it, so that your giving can be premeditated, so that it can be prepared, so that you can see, well, how are things going for us financially? And then are we able to give out of what we have? That's Paul, Paul's encouragement to them. And I think it's so important for us so that our giving can come from the heart. Our giving can be a mindful kind of giving so he wants them to be an example to others he wants them to be prepared ahead of time Um, and he also wants their giving to be voluntary not coerced that's what he says in verse 5 of chapter 9 therefore I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion, right? Not forced, but given freely. I have this friend who tells a story and it's a real cringeworthy story of visiting a church They only visited the church once because of what happened. But during the service, during the time where they collected the money, the pastor literally got down off the stage with a bucket and walked to each person in the aisle and stood in front of them with the bucket and watched as they put in their offering for the day. And the way my friend tells the story, it was just so awkward. They felt so coerced. In fact, here's a picture of my friend at the service on the day. (laughs) Now, this is exactly the opposite of what Paul wants for his churches. Exactly the opposite. He doesn't want their giving to be an extortion. He doesn't want it to be coerced. He wants it to come freely from the heart, from a cheerful heart. So we'll dip into next week's passage. But this is verse 7 of chapter 9. He says, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it. He just, it brings a smile to his face when he sees his people giving cheerfully, freely from what he's already given to them. So he doesn't want it to be coerced. He wants it to come from the heart. Now, the good news about this whole story that we've been looking at today, the good news about the money collecting mission in the churches around the region is that they responded well. They in Achaia, in Corinth, along with those in Macedonia, gave cheerfully, freely, generously for the sake of the poor in Jerusalem. We see that actually in Romans 
chapter 15. In Romans 15, as Paul writes to his church there, or to the, the church in Rome, he tells them about the success of this mission. He says, Romans 15, 25 to 26, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. The mission was a success. The people gave freely and the poor were blessed. What a beautiful testimony to this gospel truth that we've been looking at, that grace gives birth to generosity among God's people. Now we're going to look further into this in chapter 9 next week. We're going to look at chapter 9, verse 6 to 15. And next week's going to be a real practical sermon. I hope it's going to be practically helpful for us in putting some things in place that will enable us to be like these brothers and sisters of ours, that, that we might be cheerful, generous, sacrificial givers for the sake of the kingdom of God. But until then, I'd love just to say a word of blessing over us as I go. So friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.